you know, and I'm not sure how you come in today. I understand that God brings us all here together by his plan and his purpose. And I hope that you're not coming in today saying, I need to check this off my list so I can get it done. Because there's no grade for this, is there? You see, the one thing that he is concerned about the most in kingdom of God, Jesus wants to reign over you. He wants your heart. He wants your heart. Not just your actions that you force yourself to go through, but I want to ask you this morning, if he truly has free reign in your heart. In your heart. I've tried to do good things, and I stink at it. Because I don't want to sometimes. I just don't want to. And we have to recognize what Jesus is telling us in the Sermon on the Mount. He begins, and he is saying, let's talk about me reigning over your heart. So look with me, if you will. Matthew 5, 1. I love Matthew 5, 1. Many people jump right through it. Let's break it down, if you don't mind. Join with me. The kingdom of God is God ruling over the believer's heart. So 5.1, Jesus says, the scripture says this, Seeing the crowds, Jesus went up on the mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him. And then it says this, And he opened his mouth and taught them. That's our introduction to the Sermon on the Mount. Now what we would find, the question that I would present to you is this, there's this idea of there being a sermon. And I shared this with the staff this week, we're going to talk with you a lot about this coming up. One of the most common things that's happening in our culture right now is this idea of making church more entertaining. Because if we make church more entertaining, then we can definitely, one, keep you awake. Amen? Nobody wants to say amen to that ever. Every time I I say that, amen, I would like for you to stay awake. That's a personal preference, all right? So we say, if we can make church more entertaining, then we can keep people awake. But we know what's even better than that. Now that we're keeping people awake, you know what we should do? Let's bring more of them in. So then we can have a big church. And you know what happens when we have a big church? I don't know. I've not figured it out yet. But with something good, we got a lot of people who are really being entertained. So here's the thing that we're doing. A lot of churches are going to this idea of what's the most, and they don't say this to the pastor, understand, but what's the most boring part of the worship service? And you would say, Yeah, that's right. The sermon is often not the most entertaining part. So people in our culture have developed this plan. Let's do everything but a sermon. Can I present to you this idea? Genesis 1.1, God preaches a sermon. He proclaims himself to us, calling for a response. He shares his truth, his word with us, and he calls for a response. It goes on through, we get into Exodus 20, God calls Moses, he says, come on up on this mountain because I'm going to preach a sermon to you. I'm going to tell you what I expect for you. I'm going to tell you what I want for you. I'm going to tell you my best for you. And then I'm going to call for a response. That's a sermon. It's a proclamation of God's truth calling for a response. So what you see what happened here is this, is that Jesus in Matthew 5, 1 and 2, you'll see that he has this sermon. He's going to now teach them, right? Why doesn't he just show them? 
Because when we're just showing you something, then you are left to interpret it for yourself. When you hear Jesus give clear proclamation of truth, then you're going to understand it. And you're going to say, okay, I know clearly now, not that I'm supposed to, and hear this, I'm not supposed to go out and start doing miracles. I'm not supposed to go to lunch today and break bread and feed the 5,000. I'm not supposed to do that. That's what I saw Jesus do. But instead, I'm supposed to listen and understand God's Word and allow it to transform me. So here's what I would show you. The sermon then is this, the purpose, it's a proclamation of God's expectations of his subject and followers that are in his kingdom, and it calls for transformation. Those are the three elements. That's why we want to preach the word of God here. We don't want to preach opinion. We don't want to preach politics. But I want to share with you what God's word says. It's because this proclamation, it is proclaiming to you, God said this, all right? And it's better than what I would say to you. It's wiser than what I would say to you. So this is a proclamation of what he has already said. And then it also tells us his expectations. But it also tells us why he expects it, because he wants us to be changed. If God's reigning over my heart and it's a continuous rule, a continuous reign, then I'm going to begin to transform with His help to look more like Him, to be more like Him, to act more like Him. So check this out. We also want to look at, in verses, verse 2 there, it tells us about the audience. And I want you to just see this picture this morning. We'll launch this today. We'll take Father's Day and preach to fathers next week. Y'all come back for that. But then we'll really get the next, rest of the summer weeks, we're going to talk about the kingdom of God. It's a custom in the first century when a rabbi or a teacher teaches, he always sits down. That's how you know who's in charge. That's how you know who the, who the proclaimer is. So you'll see there that Jesus sits down. Now, when he sits down, you would say, well, he's pretty vulnerable there, right? So Jesus sits down, and look in verse 1 and 2. Let's see who can find it this morning. Who is Jesus trying to speak directly to? Long pause, it's awkward. Multitudes are there, thank you very much. See anybody else? Disciples. So we got two groups there, so let me paint this picture. Jesus sits down on top of the edge of a mountain, all right? He's sitting on, if you'll see the terrain, uh, and, and we could show you this at any point, but he's sitting on a mountain that's probably overlooking Galilee, Sea of Galilee. And so as Jesus is sitting there, First and foremost, there's an audience that comes up to him, and they get close to him. I'm talking about really close to him. These are the disciples. The disciples are his primary audience. He says, I want to teach you because you have already submitted or you've always responded to what I've said to you. I want to teach you. All right? Now, what we find, I can't do this without you guys. All right, youth, y'all come here for a second. So here's what happens. Porkchop, come up and help me. So I want you guys to see this. We're going to pretend like Porkchop is Jesus. All right? Give him a round of applause. All right? So Porkchop's going to sit down here just so we can see it, all right? And then I need youth, you, you guys come up around him, all right? You come up around him, and y'all surround him just like you do on Wednesday nights, like you want to hear him teaching, okay? You see how this works, okay? Now, you've got this audience that's coming around, and what we said over here is this. Y'all said that the disciples, the disciples are the audience, primary audience, right? He's teaching who? The disciples. It's kind of what it looks like right here, right? So what we find then is there's also this second group. There's the multitudes. Now the multitudes, they are on the fence, right? Being on the fence, what we find is this, is that they've not made a decision about Jesus. The multitudes are drawn to Jesus simply because of his miracles or his reputation. Yeah, probably his miracles, right? 
So they say, oh, miracle worker, miracle worker. So when he sits down, they think, well, I can't see. You got that? You see that? That's what we visualize. You see that? Can't see. So the crowds begin to draw in. And if all of y'all, y'all don't do it because it's claustrophobic. But uh, if everybody, everybody came around and you're wanting to hear the teacher, you're wanting to hear the teacher. Now check this out. There's a third group, though, that's actually the second group that's closest to Jesus. The Pharisees hate him. Why? Because these folks aren't looking at you. They're looking at him. And he's teaching about his kingdom rule, which challenges your kingdom rule in their lives. So what we see here is this, is that the Pharisees, they begin to come up, and because they're so prestigious, because they're so important in their own minds, because they reign in their kingdom with their kingdom rule like they want it to be, and they're afraid he's challenging it. So the Pharisees start to come up, and start to elbow their way in. And the Pharisees pretty soon are standing right there in front of Jesus. You need to know that as we study this, because Jesus is talking to the disciples, but he's not going to miss the multitudes. And he's also not going to miss those Pharisees. He says this, I came to preach the kingdom of God. I want to show you that the kingdom of God is at hand, and your life has to change, Pharisees. Your life has to change, disciples. Your life has to change multitudes. All right, great. You guys sit down. Round of applause. That was wonderful. Great job. Now, we clap for the simplest things. That's amazing. All right, so, so here's the idea. Now, watch this with me. So then he introduces, if you're with me in verse 3, Matthew 5, 3, he's got this audience. He has this purpose of teaching. He's proclaiming for the purpose of transformation. Okay? And so as he is telling this, he's explaining clearly what should happen if you're going to come in his treehouse. You with me? In other words, he says, if you're going to be in my kingdom, then here's how you get in my kingdom. And by the way, here's how you act in my kingdom. But don't let me miss this. He's not just looking for false actions, empty actions. He says, first and foremost, verses 3 through 12, he's going to tell us, if you're going to be in God's kingdom then God's going to address your attitude. You ever said this before, parents? Well, what you're doing is right, but your attitude is all wrong. Let's, let's testify. How many of you have heard that before, said that before? Youth, y'all have ever heard your parents say that before? They're not telling the truth. You tell the truth. It happens, right? We say, hey, listen, I don't appreciate your attitude. How many of y'all said that this week? Come on. Well, y'all are so holy. So holy. Okay? I'm 41 years old. My daddy said that to me this week. This week, all right? It's how it's supposed to be, all right? So here's the concept. Attitude has a lot to do with being in the kingdom of God. It has a lot to do with being in the kingdom of God. He's not looking for you to do proper actions without proper attitude. So he starts out with attitude, and here's what he says, all right? I'm in uh, Matthew 5, verse 3. He says, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those, this one throws me for a loop every time, verse 10. Blessed are those who are persecuted 
for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you. You falsely on my account, on my account, he says, rejoice and be glad for your reward in heaven is great. For those who, oh, for so they persecuted the prophets who are before you. So let's just touch on this just briefly. You see there's a reoccurring word, right? What is it? Blessed. I, I'll read it again. Just Yeah. Blessed comes up over and over and over again. Here's what blessed means. Blessed means that you have heart transformation. It's heart transformation, right? And heart transformation, get this, is number one, it is beyond your circumstances. When Jesus comes into your life, His Holy Spirit dwells inside of you, He does not change your circumstances. He doesn't, right? I'll get saved as long as I get this. No! He does not promise, hey, I'm going to make sure that you live forever. We talked about that Wednesday night, right? Here's the idea. When I got saved, He did not say, you're never going to physically die. I will protect you from all illness. I'll protect you even from death. You're going to live to be a cabillion. Didn't happen. Didn't happen, right? He did not say, now get this, if you get saved... I'll fix your marriage. In other words, I'll fix your spouse. Didn't do that, right? Preach it. Here's the idea. He says, when you live in my kingdom, I'm going to work to change your heart, not your circumstances. But when I change your heart, get this, you'll begin to address circumstances the way that I want you to. You'll begin to see circumstances the way that I want you to. You'll begin to receive circumstances from my perspective, right? All right? Let's go into the uncomfortable area just for a second. Many of us are trying to, within our churches across the state of Mississippi, across the Southern Baptist Convention, we are trying to reign over God's church. And we're trying to say, as soon as all those people at my church start doing exactly what I expect them to do, then I'll be happy. Listen, he's not trying to change your church so it would be your church for your kingdom, for your glory, for your reign and your rule. He's trying to make it his church. He's not trying to change your marriage so that your spouse would do exactly what you say, what you think. He's not trying to fix your kids. And that'd be cool if he was. But he's not trying to fix your kids. He's instead trying to address his reign in your heart. He's trying to adjust your attitude to be more like his, with his perspective. And he says here, first and foremost, before we get into anything else, he says, you will be blessed. That's the promise. When your attitude is transformed to be like his attitude, you will be blessed in that. You will receive blessing from God. You will become the kind of kingdom subject that he's called you to be. And then he sees, you see it at the end. With each one of these, though, there seems to be a reward. When your attitude is transformed from being like this to being like he wants it to be, then he's going to pour out a special kind of reward in your life. Not before. Doesn't seem like, if I'm reading it correctly, doesn't seem like. So he says that being blessed is beyond our circumstances. It's heart transformation. And that produces inside of us, it's a God-produced, get this word, satisfaction. 
I'm blessed in my life. Yeah, but you don't know what tomorrow holds. Don't have to. I'm blessed in my life. I'm fully satisfied in what God has provided for me. Can you say that? I'm fully satisfied in the, in the spouse that God has given me. I'm fully satisfied in how God has provided a family for me. I'm fully satisfied with the life that God has given me. I'm fully satisfied with the home that God has provided for me. I'm fully satisfied with the vehicles that God's given me to drive. I'm fully satisfied in the job that God has provided for me because I didn't get it on my own merit. Trust me, I'm not that smart. Would you like to be blessed? Maybe you already are. But maybe the problem is that you're still trying to be king in your domain. And you think that you deserve something better in your kingdom. Jesus comes and he says, let me instruct you about what my kingdom looks like. There's one king. There's one king. And that one king wants to produce not in you an abundance of material junk. He wants to produce inside of you satisfaction that's found only in him. So I provided something for you today, and this is for, for your leisure. This week, maybe you're at the lake, maybe you're um, at the beach, maybe you're at any of those places that, that I won't be, but take this with you there's an orange or a yellow sheet one of those it's one of those two colors they're both the same thing but it talks about kingdom attitudes so what i did for you this week just as a uh, uh, just as a practice for us to kind of go forward is this if you're willing you take that it's going to tell you the fruit of the spirit excuse me it's going to tell you the beatitude all right the beatitude and then it's going to describe the beatitude briefly and it's going to give you then that promise, kind of broken down in some modern language, maybe help you understand it. But the hard thing that I've given you there is this. There's a scale that's one to five, and that's not for my benefit. Again, no grade here, but that's for your benefit. Can I ask you, if God is working in your life to transform you to find satisfaction that's only in Him? I mean, that's a lot of fancy words, so let's, let's do it this way. Do you have continuous joy, irregardless of your circumstances? Do you have continuous joy because you're His? Do you have never-ceasing joy even when things aren't going well, even when you have Mondays? Do you, do you find still joy because you belong to God? You live in His kingdom, and He's shaping and transforming you. So as you look at those, this starts out with maybe that one is, oh, Lord, I need some major help here, right? Or maybe you get over and you say, well, I'm somewhere around a three maybe, and that's just personal evaluation tools, all this is. But it's to get you to thinking, how's God working in your life and shaping your attitude? Maybe a three is, hey, still need some work here, God. Still need some work here. Or maybe you're at all fives. And you're saying, wow, the kingdom of God is just really growing in my life and is transforming me and I'm, I'm being changed and I see, the, I see the attitude of God being manifested in me and I find joy and contentment in all my set, setting, all my situations. And if that's you, praise God for that. That's wonderful. But those are the B attitudes broken down for you and, and here's how we wrap up our service. You ready? He does not live in your kingdom. He has no interest in it. I've asked him. He has no interest in 
coming and serving you in such a way where you reign over him. He has no interest in providing for you things that will be to your detriment. He has no interest in fixing everything around you, fixing everyone around you, so that they would do exactly what you expect them to do at all times. He has no interest in that. But he does invite you to say, you're welcome in my kingdom. He says to us, you are invited to come and to be in my kingdom. I would love to work in your life to first and foremost address your heart. Would you pray with me? Father in heaven, as we come, we thank you that you invite us into your kingdom. Lord, you're so gracious to us. You're so loving to us. Uh, thank you for being gentle and kind with us. Thank you, God, for, for just being merciful to us. But Lord, most of all, uh, we just want to say thank you for this invitation. You, you come proclaiming, telling us, come into my kingdom. Those Pharisees that are standing there around you, you're inviting people whose hearts are cold towards you to hear you speak the truth of God, to hear you invite them to be transformed, to change, to let go of their control, to let go of their anger, to let go of their bitterness, to let go of all the things in their life that are keeping them from you. So thank you that the Pharisees today even, those of us who struggle with being legalistic, those of us who struggle with being cold and stubborn in our faith, Lord, this invitation is for you. For, for you to, to call out to them and you beckon them to have their hearts softened and transformed. I thank you that you speak to the disciples, those of us that are fully committed to you right now, but we still need your help. Thank you, God. Thank you, God, that you call us to continuously evaluate our lives and to see your grace and goodness as you transform us. And Lord, also we look and we see you proclaim to the multitudes. Maybe today, God, we have visitors with us and they've not made a decision about who's in control of their lives. So, Lord, as your Holy Spirit speaks, I ask that you would have freedom to deal with them. Give them the courage, if you would see fit, to lead them to surrender their lives to you. And, Lord, as a church family, we would just love to help them. We would love to receive them. So, Lord, help us to be able to minister appropriately during this time. As Todd and the praise band, they, they sing and they lead us in worship, God, we pray that your spirit would dwell heavy among us, that we would not be distracted by appointments, by, by lunch menus, but we would just for the next few minutes, just for a brief few minutes, we would answer the question, are you free in our lives to be our king? Lord, as we worship, would you speak to our hearts?